Battle Line Podcast, huge thanks to our listeners who checked out our last episode with Sarah Adams talking about uh, really behind the scenes of what went on in Benghazi. A lot of you are hearing this, if you're hearing this, the day it's released on September 12th. So, of course, we pay our respects to the men lost in Benghazi, Sean Smith, Ambassador Stevens, uh, Ty Woods, and Glenn Doherty. And uh, yeah, we get more, we get into more of this with Sarah on this episode. Uh, before we get into all of that, I'm going to go a little bit off script here and talk about Ned because Ned has two great new products. They actually have right now the Brain Blend, which is 750 milligram uh, dosage. So this is like very powerful. I've taken it and uh, I, I love it now. Uh, anything with full spectrum hemp, I actually do take at night. So I would still recommend taking it before you go to sleep. But the difference between the brain blend and just the daily blend or the full spectrum hemp is that it's got great nootropics in there. It's got the ginkgo biloba and uh, and other nootropics, just great formula of stuff that that is going to help you in your in your everyday life in terms of your focus. And I've actually gotten really into nootropics lately, so I'm glad they put out a product like this um, that that also meshes with the full spectrum hemp. So. Like I said, take that before you go to sleep because the full spectrum hemp still does make me a little bit tired. Some people take it during the day. I have, but I still like taking any CBD products at night personally, and you'll feel those effects as you regularly take it. So great product, the brain brain blend, take that. And then the other new product is the Relief Bomb. I love this stuff. It is so powerful. It's two ounces. So it's a bigger dosage right there in terms of just the size of it. Uh, bigger than a lot of the other relief bombs that you're going to get in the store, but it's really powerful. I first put it on because I, I was standing all day at a concert after uh, from my friend, uh, my, my friend Mark from Electrocutioner, who's a listener of the show and his wife, Amanda. And that was after like working out. So it was a lot of standing and working out that day. I got home and I was like, man, my back is sore. I'm going to use this Ned relief bomb. You first put it on and uh, I, it's got not only the menthol in there, but the the hemp as well. And I was like, all right, I'm not feeling anything too powerful. You know, it wasn't like that kick of menthol. But then about a minute later, you really feel it. It's a great relief. And I woke up like completely refreshed between the brain blend and the uh, the new relief bomb. So check it out. It's great. Make it a part of your daily or nightly ritual. These products are science-backed, nature-based solutions that offer an alternative to prescription and over-the-counter drugs. Full transparency, Ned shares third-party lab reports, who farms their products, and their extraction process, all right there on their site. Ned's CBD products have over 2,000 five-star reviews. I love them. Whether you just want to do the full-spectrum hemp, the Daily Blend, or the new Brain Blend, go for it. And that relief bomb cannot be beat. This is like the best product on the market in terms of a relief bomb. So become the best version of yourself and get 15% off as a new customer with Ned and all their products with code BATTLELINE. Go to helloned.com slash BATTLELINE or enter BATTLELINE at checkout. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash BATTLELINE to get 15% off. Thank you, Ned for sponsoring our show and offering our listeners a healthy alternative for some of life's most common health issues.
From Omaha, Nebraska to New York City, from planet Earth to extraterrestrial life in space, a podcast with no equal, engaged in unconventional warfare through your speakers and headphones. This is a show about embracing the suck, conquering your demons, and finding God in the face of adversity. Chris Tonto Peranto. Twitch is on. Motherfucker, I'm going to shoot you in the face. Ian Scotto. You know, Ian and I have been dating for a long time. You are now tuned into the Battle Line Podcast. Battleline podcast, and everyone has been anticipating part two since last week with Sarah Adams. I mean, the show, as uh, Sarah and I were saying before we hit record, is getting like a tremendous response. I I really do need to thank uh, Sarah Carter from Fox News for retweeting out stuff and Andrew Wilkow. And, you know, as of now, that video has like, I think it's like 50,000 views or something. Yeah, it's it's crazy. But I, I think people are learning a lot uh, from it. And I think, um, yeah, it's important that that information is out there. I, I will say that when people are hearing this, it's going to be Monday. It's going to be September 12th. So it'll be a day after 10 years since the attack and also 21 years since 9-11-2001. And so this is a pretty significant day before we even get into the details of the book or anything else. Yeah, man. I I I think uh, I'll be driving home actually the day that this is going because I'm doing a actually doing a vodka signing, a Tonto <laughs> vodka signing. But yeah. it, it, it's at a friend of mine's. He an old what you know? It's it's I think it's cliche. Old our old army buddies they own bars everywhere. That's just how that's just how we were getting that. So I'm going to a friend of mine. He owns a bar in Minnesota, and he he actually stocks the vodka. He actually got it into the state of Minnesota. So I, I could, I, I feel obligated, but I also want to, cause he's a good friend, go to his bar and, you know, just do some signings, book signings and just hang out with him. And, and my, and, my that, and, and by my the way, that's, that's Paul previously Paul, from Max. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's been on yeah. with us. He's been yeah. on with us. Paul Braun, who uh, are you know, army guys spent a lot of time in Basra, uh, had, had his own episodes in Basra that him and his team went through. So yeah, I'll be there. And, and I'm um, yeah, looking forward to another good episode. And and hopefully if Sarah doesn't let us down, you know, it, it may be, you never know. It could, that first one's good. She may be, she may hit the bar right down here. You know, I don't know. Killing me smalls. You, you can't, you can't <laughs> ever, you can't ever depend on her. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. She's going to do awesome. And I, I know from what you said, it really was shocking uh, for, for, uh, I know a lot of our listeners, a lot of stuff, people that even were there, like myself, didn't even know. So uh, I'm looking forward to hearing what the select committee stuff was because you know I spent a lot of time that was that was a Benghazi in itself just going through that stupid bullshit for three years with Rogers committee and then 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 it getting out there and Adam Schiff and Adam Smith attacking us and then me and Oz actually I remember that going on Fox or one thing I do remember at Fox going on against uh, Adam Smith and just really just calling him a liar on national TV the congressman from Washington and then. And then, of course, it's set up with the with Trace Committee, which Sarah sat on, which, uh, yeah, yeah, I, yeah I, I, there's, I bet there's a ton of shit that I, I don't, she could tell us if and, she, if she can. Yeah, she can. and I know that we'll focus on some other things as, you know, I was texting with Sarah yesterday because we can't get into that completely. But uh, before we even get into any of that, I mean, Sarah, for you, any reflections on this 10 years later? And like I said, 21 years later from 
the other 9-11 that that you know most most people do know more of yeah i mean it's actually interesting when you compare the two right the same kind of individuals were involved but in 2001, you could say it was Al-Qaeda, right? In 2012, yeah. you couldn't say it was Al-Qaeda. Um, so that's a very huge shift when they were our enemy. And now it's like, hey, you can't say that they're enemy. You got to choose someone else as our enemy. So that's really concerning. And, you know, I actually realized after the episode, I should have brought something up that would have been interesting to um, Tonto. So when we were talking, Tonto, about the camp you went to, the Rafal al-Sahara. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the mm -hmm. fact that you probably saw Bubakar, I forgot to tell you at the time, you realized Bubakar was involved in the incident in Fallujah that killed your four Blackwater brothers. Oh uh, yeah, that's Helveston and and Sl yeah. and Slavko and exactly. uh, yeah, and Z I'm just Zavko and and the other two. I didn't know the other two guys, but I mean, he's really the one that, if you want to say, kicked off the the huge IED VBID assault ambush wars against contractors. That was him, man. So I, I didn't know that. So I'll be honest, I didn't know he was behind that as well. I just knew that AQI was responsible for that. And so that, you know, that, that's what's huge with me. It still kills me literally and figuratively in about Benghazi is that, you know, we had the 10 digit grid on that guy and, and we're the ones that got in trouble for finding it, which was totally unbelievable. I mean, so yeah, I, I didn't know that. So what's, it's good to know now and, and it does get some closure to it. But it also is good because you're bringing it forth and, and hopefully there is even closure within that dirty cesspool called Northern Virginia up there. Sorry for all you people that live there. I know there's great people there, but the organizations that are there in Northern Virginia, which includes D.C., no, it, it, it's a cesspool. It's, it, people have no no integrity, no ethics at all. And, and you know, I think we're, we're obviously finding more and more out about that just with us talking to you. So. Yeah, I didn't know that. That that really that you know that that really it doesn't it pisses me off not to the extent I'm gonna be pissed off for years, but it's like, dude, really? I, I, yeah, we keep seeing these same guys. You know, I used yeah. to joke when I worked at Taliban. It's like we're gonna capture these guys in three years. Someone else is gonna be chasing after them, right? It's, <laughs> yeah, it's just this constant. But I actually have some good news today. So three hours and now eight minutes ago. A Benghazi attacker was killed. Another one. Are they, wow. they, they got, they got <laughs> how, you so know, how, in Libya, there, there's a gentleman named General Haftar. Okay. And he runs the Libyan National Army. It's basically an opposition force to the government of Libya. We can get all into the government of Libya. Yeah. But anyway, they're basically the counterterrorism force in Libya. He's pretty much the best counter terrorism official in the entire world right now. Like okay. everyone should be learning from him. Wow. So yeah, three hours ago, um, they killed another one of our attackers. He's taking out of the attackers that are dead. The majority of them have been killed by Haftar since it was just a few hours ago. I have not seen him at least announce it yet. He usually doesn't say what they were involved in, right? So that'll just be the name. But yeah, and, and he took an attacker off the battlefield today, put him on the X. So, you know, just something to celebrate. I know it's not the U.S. doing it, but at the end of the day, we just want these attackers gone so they can't keep killing other people. Um, you know, he ended up being aligned with ISIS in later years, you know, causing yeah. a lot more havoc. So it's just something that, um, and, you know, at the time of the attacks, he was Al-Qaeda in the um, lands of the Islamic Maghreb. So he was one of our AQM guys at the attack. So anytime, you know, Haftar takes out an Al-Qaeda guy too from that time, you know, it's pretty exciting. Do, do we recognize Haftar or do we support him at all? Or he's just doing it all on his own. We got nothing, we're no way yeah, backing or nothing. Unfortunately, um, it's very, um, so... I'll just start from the beginning. So the government of Libya, as you know, funded the militias in yeah. 
Benghazi. So a lot of people don't understand this. So they were funding the guys who attacked us. Like they got money every month from the government of Libya to do their thing. Now, the same attackers, the ones still alive, they got pushed out of Eastern Libya by this General Haftar because he was like, enough was enough in 2014. And he's like, I'm going to clear Benghazi of the terrorists. And like, it was a full on war. Um, he lost thousands and thousands of people. So the ones who did survive moved to Tripoli. And now they're in Tripoli, still funded by the government of Libya. And then they're fighting against Haftar. But as you know, we support the government of Libya. Yeah. yeah. So we're basically supporting the government that supports the terrorists who attacked us. And, and it's even worse. So these terrorists, um, they don't really have to work, right? Because the government of Libya gives them money, but they get money also from the government of Qatar and the government of Turkey because they train attackers to send to Syria. So they first get money when they kind of facilitate terrorists, and then they get paid a second time when they send them to Syria. So they get 5,000 ahead for every train terrorist they send to Syria from Libya. So it's like this whole money scheme where um, the Benghazi attackers are just, you know, piling in the dough and it's the dough from foreign governments. So that's really concerning. So yeah, so Haftar is the opposition to this basically terrorist led government. Um, we of course support the Islamist and terrorist government because we always choose the wrong side. And when we realize we choose the wrong side, we don't just say, shoot, we made a mistake. Let's do what's right. We double down. We double down and give more <laughs> and money and give more weapons. And, yeah. <laughs> There's so many lies about him. You know, it's really funny. A few years ago, a bunch of terrorists took over the old station in Tripoli. No way. I mean, I know right after they left Tripoli, um, there was some yeah. great video that came in. They were joking yeah, off. Yeah, yeah. Were, oh. I remember that. <laughs> but then they went in and about three years ago, um, they took over the compound. and So he bombed it. And he killed a bunch of terrorists. You know, the press, even in the United States, said he killed doctors and nurses. So uh, the, the press against Haftar, especially in the United States, is every, just assume it's all incorrect, um, unfortunately. But yes, yeah, so we're on the wrong side, as always, in Libya. And the Libyan people say it, too. They yeah. think, and, you know, then, it, then they think, hey, we're the enemy, too, right? They're like, hey, U.S. just came in to get involved in this corruption, take advantage of our country. They didn't care about our democracy. They're supporting terrorists. And, you know, it just leaves a really bad taste. Well, and, and you're right, because because we didn't care about democracy. All we cared about was some political agenda that the Obama administration had going on right at that time. And you're obviously validating that now. But even that we knew that was our that was our joke was just where we give it giving these weapons to well, we're giving them right back to the terrorists so they could come attack us with them. And then they could go to Syria and overthrow Assad because we want to support terrorists to overthrow dictators and, and and the money that was coming in. You know, you never knew where it was going. Honestly, on the GRS side of the house, we just it's like it was really threw hands up. It's like, well, whatever. Yeah, we'll just we're here. We're we're here. We'll do we'll we'll do the job. We'll protect you. We'll go find terrorists, even though we get in trouble for it. But in the end, it, it was it was just a it was a losing battle. We felt, but yeah, we still people that watch us still do it. We still enjoyed the job. It's still getting out with the people and getting out in towns and it's meeting everybody and just being in the atmosphere, whether it was super crazy or it was chill because you're taking you're getting a coffee, you know, you're getting a, a Turkish coffee at one of the shops. It was still a fun, fun job to be in an experience. But in the end, yeah, it, we knew we were making that place worse. But that's what we always do. We always go into a country and make it worse. And then we leave yeah. and we say, oh, nah. and then and then the media, the culprits at the media continue to spurn, spin it up for whoever they're 
whoever they're fighting for, whoever's at the president of the United States or whoever's, whoever's in charge or whoever's running the show. And they, they spin it to make it look like we're doing something magnanimous when really all we're doing is destroying and continually destroying lives. So that's sad to hear that, that, that the media won't even recognize Haftar, even though, you know, we've been saying for years and obviously you guys even more so because you knew, you knew the background that he was, he was the good guy. He was the guy that was trying to help us. And then here we are, you know, still funding terrorism. And when I say that, I, I, I never said it lightly. I always said, hey, we made ISIS. I, I firmly believe that we made ISIS. We're the ones that made it, not anybody else. Yeah, AQIs, Akari, the media can trace it all the way back to that and say, oh, it was Akari who made ISIS. Well, no, Akari was actually AQI. <laughs> but if you want to tie those lineage, I guess you could. I said, no, we did. We're the ones. We're the ones by doing exactly what you just said. And then we and then we funded them and we're funding them. And then we're also giving them weapons. And the Qataris, that's that's a huge thing, too. I actually uh, I was protecting Rob Lowe in Qatar, Doha, the Doha Vista. And we stayed at the Kapinski Hotel. And I remember staying there. there, I was there during a break in GRS, my GRS break. I was there in in, in Doha protecting him and uh, some singer. I forget. So she was big at the time. And um, on the floor above us, the hotel staff would complain all the time. Like, oh, these these foreigners are in here. And I thought they were talking about us. I'm like, I, I met him one day and I was like, guys, what? It was, it, they're from the UK. Most of them were from the UK. And they were working at, in Doha at the Kapinski Hotel. And I said, hey, what are we doing? I, 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 I've been the same. Guys, I'm not trashing. And they said, no, no, no. There's, there's, they said, there's Libyans upstairs. They're upstairs and they're destroying our floor and they're also repainting stuff. They're wanting us to rechange everything. Well, we had funded along with the Doha with the Qatari government to fund to bring all the families from the Libyan militias, which is who you were talking about. They were living in Doha at the Kapinski Hotel. And if you're if you're an international traveler, you know that the Kapinski Hotel is not a Motel Six. That thing is a freaking top tier level walled off for the Astoria type hotel and. So we were doing it back then. And that's again, I, that was right before the attack. It was, I actually did it right before the attack and came back to Benghazi. We were actually putting their families up to protect the militias, the militias families from retribution. And we were putting them up under our dime and then the Qatari dime. And I, you know, I, I, I should have put two and two together. I really didn't. I just like, well, we're idiots. Good job, State Department. Good job, Commander in Chief. But at that time, there was, we, there was stuff going on that honestly, I probably should even have brought to your attention and I just didn't even think about it. I was like, well, we're, we're idiots as usual. Here we go again. Right. And, um, well, the Qataris is kind of what what kind of caused a lot of the conspiracies in Benghazi too. Remember, they were the ones flying in twice yeah. with their weapons and flying out. And everybody thinks that was the Americans. So there's so many people that said, oh, you guys deserve to die. You guys are running it. <laughs> weapons over the consulate I mean, running weapons over the consulate we weren't even allowed to go down the street um but it was the cutteries right but it made yeah. everyone thought that was us because things got redacted and um nobody actually paid attention to it and they're like yeah they're flying so you said i'm like that's not us i try to explain to people all the time i'm like don't you remember john mccain <laughs> yes he wanted to our government wanted to not obviously send the weapons out of benghazi we're a tiny little shop would be the dumbest thing but he wanted to get that approved to get weapons and do it, but he wasn't getting it approved, right? He complained about it every day. He had long speeches. And I tried to tell people, don't you remember the time? Um, but yeah, it's just people love their conspiracies. Uh, it's, just, it's, it's nuts. Well, the conspiracy here actually, I think is true from what, 
what I saw and what you saw down there. If if the the left wing that they call it a conspiracy, because of course it doesn't go in line with their politicians that they fawn over and they love. Um, but the 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 weapons, the arms, yes, supporting terrorists, uh, supporting friendly militias, that was going on. And I, I, you know, I, I, my question, I know we're getting to the attack and we'll get into the select committee stuff. Um, were we attacked? And I felt like we were weapons that we were, we were giving to AQIM and, 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 um, and South Sharia and all the precursors to ISIS. Those weapons, I felt a lot of them were the ones that were coming back at us that they were attacking us with, that that's what they were getting them. Or were they just getting them off the Bacar at the Bacara market or were they, because those things I mean, worked. That's not really from us. So do you remember the house that me and uh, me and Tig and then Jack lived in? Where did we're at the, in, in Benghazi? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember when you walked in the living room, what was all in the living room? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, right, we had hundreds and hundreds, hundreds. Of, boxes of radios. We didn't even get the radios in time to Libya before the revolution ended. So trust That's me. That's right. We did not oh, yeah. get our weapons into that country to help anybody. <laughs> and we couldn't even get the radios in before. Because the revolution was like February to October. That's it. You know how the government works. I mean, ask Ukraine. We drop billions in. They're like, hey, we're, we saw lots of money. Where are the weapons? Where are the supplies? Never. It took them months and months to make like warehouses in Poland. Our, our government is just slow as hell. So, I mean, weapons used in the Benghazi attacks were obviously weapons from Qatar. You know, they exploded oh. during the revolution. It's just they're, they weren't American weapons. Um, yeah. I mean, some weapons of ours were stolen, and the attackers in later years used yeah. our weapons. Well, um, I saw I saw one of our Mercedes in one of their pictures that yeah. a few Jack well, saw. It. He said, "Yeah, that's our Mercedes. They were using yeah, it." You know, <laughs> me, me and Boone ID'd him, so so his nickname's Mouse. Mouse. Um, here, his name. All you know, he's actually was the right hand to Sufyan Bin Kumo, so he was his sidekick. Um, but yeah, he drove that damn car back to Darna. I was like, he drove it to like the shittiest town in the country. Like, of course, everyone's going to notice and take pictures of it. Is that hilarious? Uh, uh, anyway, anyway I, I know we're getting into that stuff and, and, uh, but we do want to get into the select committee. So I, I, after, I guess after what, after Benghazi, you came home, you kept working. You decided to, to do the, you know, help out General Petraeus, give him the letter IG complaint. Um, I guess that's where we kind of ended. Is that right? Ian, help me out here. For the most part, with the IG letter, what happened after that? And when people started to find out, wait a second, she's on. Uh, these are my words, not yours. That she's not part of the team anymore. She's not what she's not willing to go along with the bullshit story that we're trying to fabricate and that we're putting out to the mainstream media. Did you did you get blacklisted? What what happened? So my main problem was obviously in Libya, right? So I had troubles at the station when they found out that I informed the director. So sure. basically um, the day after the director left, me and then the CT officer from Benghazi and then mm -hmm. the reports officer from Benghazi got called in the, C the COS's office and he grilled us. He's like, which one of you told Petraeus? And da -da. so of course I was like, I did. And then our, the CT officer, you know him, she's like, oh no. And then, and then obviously the, the reports officer starts crying. Um, and he's like, oh, oh. <laughs> anyway. So it was, it was very stressful for the two of them. So I was like, yeah, I did. I, I don't care. You don't have to come in here and try to like shake us down. Um, and then we got in an argument about it. Um, I won't say all the details. I mean, in later years, he um, realized 
it was true, right? So I don't, yeah. I don't want to like throw a guy under the bus. But so when I left Libya, though, he wrote. So when you leave the country, when you're yeah. in the CIA, they write in cable traffic your performance, right? So anyone in the CIA right now can go pull up and see my performance from that trip. So he did write some line in there, like something like she doesn't fall in line. Um, I thought I was kind of proud by it, but obviously I got back to the U.S. and my boss was like, you can never go overseas again. People are saying chief of stations aren't going to want you. And so for about a year, I didn't travel because my boss kind of believed, oh my God, you're in trouble. And then I started traveling again because as you discussed, G-Man was in another country and yeah. I went out to work with him. And then I went out to work in another Middle Eastern country with another COS who... The, the thing is, COS is usually asked for me, so I had a good reputation. So um, I then started traveling again, but it was about a good year that my boss was convinced I was blacklisted from going overseas because of this one comment. And I was like, now I wasn't as bothered by it, but I mean, it probably did affect things. Yeah. But again, I feel in later years, the person who did that, I think he, he knew we were right. And I just, like I said, I don't really have any ill will for him. And, and I have to wonder, like going into that, you know, um, for and for the audience who might not have checked out part one yet. I mean, Sarah has many years of, of uh, experience in intelligence and in the CIA. So it's basically you blowing the whistle on something, I guess you could say, and putting your job on the line, putting your life on the line. Is that something that that's just always been important to you in terms of integrity that I have to stand for the truth more so than what's going to help me financially? What's what's going to help me professionally? Uh, was it just in this moment you said, I have to do the right thing. I'm not going to get in line with what the, you know, quote official story is. Yeah. Well, I was kind of known for this. I mean, I wasn't known for being some sort of troublemaker, but everybody knew me by my integrity. There is an incident back. Um, I don't know if you guys remember the Mumbai attacks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. What was that? Um, maybe November, 2008. Yeah. So actually I got involved in a, in, in a worse situation. I feel from an ethical standpoint at that time, um, basically, we were getting a lot of pressure from Congress to do something against the attackers. The attackers obviously attacked in India and their last year Taiba. They're kind of Kashmiri militant groups, so they're more in the India-Pakistan. I mean, the India, yeah, the India-Pakistan border, Kashmir, and then not the India-Afghanistan border. I mean, the Pakistan-Afghanistan border where yeah. we do operations, right? We were working in Afghanistan, so basically my boss wanted to lie about a camp over on the Afghanistan side and say it was Lashkari Taiba so we could strike it and so we could go back to Congress and say hey look at CIA is doing something we carried up the strike so she comes to me and she says I want you to write this up to propose it for a strike and so I say I'm not writing that up it's not correct so I wrote it up and I basically said hey here's the location here's incorrect information on the location um, here's the correct information. Here's the group in it. And she like pretty much lost it on me. Right. So I said, I'm not writing up a, a nomination and lying, even if it is terrorist. Like, I'm not just going to randomly kill people. So you can check a box. So I it's crazy. So the next week I went on a week long um, CIA training and you kind of don't really get on your computers then. Yeah. You're really immersed, as you know, you're offsite, you're not on. So at the end of the week, I was like, oh, let me check my mails because I had the next Monday off. So I checked my emails and seriously, she went to another girl on our team who was, of course, a DOD detailee. So it's a different world, right? And CIA, they will push back. DOD people do fall in line and, and, and do listen to their bosses. So she went to the one DOD analyst on our team and made her write it up. So I read it. 
And then I call her and I say, hey, this is wrong. And she's, yeah, well, I kind of know it's wrong, but I'm doing what my boss says. I said, no, you need to pull it. You can't, you can't do this. It's like against the law. Like I'm trying to explain to her that she's breaking the law, right? Like ethical or not, like you just can't go kill people. So some, you make someone happy. She wouldn't pull it back. So of course, then I had to go to all the senior bosses in my department. So I went to kind of, it was like the group chief level. Our group chief is pretty famous. He was one of the main guys who got bin Laden. So it was him and then his four deputies and my boss was one. So I sent it to all of them and I said, you know, this can't go forward. And, you know, I wrote my justification. I put my evidence in there. And luckily he's an honest man. So he chose one of those other bosses to look into it. She looked into it. You actually know her probably. She worked in overseas with us too. Um, I'm sure. She looked into it. She came back and said to the senior boss, Sarah's correct. That's not who's at that location. We can't nominate it to strike it. So I luckily did can't get the strike canceled. But um, yeah, my boss was gun ho online about it. And the crazy part is this is what is a big problem in the government. She ended up moving on and eventually she was in charge on the analytics side of a uh, drone shop. So wow. she was in charge of basically making all the nominations for strikes <laughs> when she lied about a location to do a strike to make Congress happy. So yeah, unfortunately stuff like this happens not very often in the CIA. The CIA does have a lot of people with integrity, but every once in a while you get those ladder climbers um, that want to appease somebody and you do have to be the person who steps up and says, no, like we're not going to do this. And, and this would actually be, I think, a good transition into, I know what Chris wants to talk about, and I know you're limited on what we can speak about involving the committee. And by the way, people do need to pick up the book because the book's going to have way more detail than anything we're going to get yeah. into in these two episodes. So pick up Benghazi, Know Thy Enemy. It'll be out soon. I know it's not out yet, and it's being pushed back longer than we'd like. But I think in terms of corruption in government, in terms of lying in government, that plays right into the Benghazi Select Committee. So yeah, in terms of at least what you could speak about, I think let's uh, let's at least touch on it. Sure, yeah. So I was asked probably the end of 2014 to join the Select Committee. As Tonto had mentioned, there was a bunch of reports that came out. Yeah. And so it was right at the time the report that Mike Rogers Committee came out. And I didn't pay much attention to Congress. So I just assumed that was the same as Trey Gowdy's, right? I was like, what are you talking about? Why would I come work for you? Your report sucked. You didn't even have the right number of Americans. So I ramble <laughs> I on. Um, I ramble on and say, hell no, da, 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 da. And, and it was kind of a short conversation. I did get a follow-up email. Like, can you tell me everything that was wrong in that report? So I actually did that for him. Um, I was kind of joking with June Boone about it. I'm like, this crazy guy in Congress asked me to come work for him. And he's like, what'd you say? And he's like, oh my gosh, you were so rude to a congressman. I said, no, if they're not doing a good job, it ain't my fault. He's like, no, it wasn't him. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I said, if he circles back, I'll entertain it. And maybe like two or three weeks later, it's funny because I was, he called me a day before I was going to ask um, the agency if I could go overseas and work on kind of like a, um, so I'm one of the people that thought Mullah Omar was in Afghanistan and I was going to propose to CIA, can I kind of work on a red team, go to where I think he is and collect and like prove that he's in Afghanistan and we can get him there. Um, so yeah, it was the day before I was going to try to propose this crazy idea and he called me back and I said, okay, I'll come up and meet with your team. 
Hope that you guys are enjoying this show with Sarah Adams. Great having her on for part two. Uh, part one did excellent, so we loved having her back. Uh, before we continue, Fort Scott Munitions sponsors every show. Love their stuff. Check out the tin right here if you're watching on video. And if you're watching on video, be sure to subscribe, like, leave us a comment. But this is the Fort Scott Munitions tin. This is the 9mm 80 grain ammo. Great stuff. Fort Scott Munitions is a manufacturer of multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC spun ammunition that is designed to tumble upon impact in soft tissue. TUI, that's their trademark, leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed out and quicker incapacitation. This ammunition was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military grade ammunition design. It was found that not only did the TUI ammunition outperform competitors in the self-defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it would be a top contender for hunters alike. With the ammunition being CNC spun, the tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring that you receive the same results with each pull of the trigger. Fort Scott Munitions is available throughout privately owned businesses in all 50 states. You can also find it right there on the website at fsm.com if you want to buy in store go to the dealer locator on the website type in your zip code you're going to get a dealer right by you but go to fsm.com and you'll get 15 percent off your order that goes for merch the tins that i just showed you hats any of that stuff you'll get 15 percent off as a loyal listener to the podcast so that's only available for, for listeners of the battle line podcast fort scott munitions is a proud supporter of chris peranto battle line tactical and the battle line podcast once again fsm.com promo code battle line also this show is sponsored by our great friends at photonist defense where you're just talking ammo and if you're a shooter you're going to want to get the best night vision out there such quality products it is definitely worth the price that you're going to invest in some great night vision and become master of darkness, as they say. Now you can have the superpower to see in the dark with the Viper Binocular Night Vision System by Photonist Defense, which is the global leader in night vision solutions, providing more high-quality night vision capabilities than anyone. Military, law enforcement, and public safety end users and Border Patrol were learning, uh, utilize Photonist Defense Solutions to give them the edge at night in tactical situations and rescue operations. Hunters, shooters, boaters, and enthusiasts can rely on the Photonist Defense Viper Binocular to become master of darkness. The new Viper Binocular system carries the same features and benefits as the Photonist Defense Viper Monocular with a ruggedized body and harnesses the power of the echo intensifier tubes, giving you sharper images, reduced halo, and industry-leading ultra-fast auto-gating across the range of dynamic operating conditions. Visit PhotonistDefense.com, P-H-O-T-O-N-I-S, Defense.com. We have operators in the field, guys who have been on like Justin Sheehan, and then we have CIA like Phil Otto over at Photonist Defense who stand by these products and they are the best on the market. I'm telling you, if you're going to get night vision, make the investment and don't go anywhere other than Photonist Defense. PhotonistDefense.com for more information or look for Photonist Defense product options from your night vision dealer. With that, let's get right back to Sarah Adams. It's actually really funny. So I went to 
meet his team. And I this is to- this is Trey that you you're having the conversation with Trey. Trey. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. And, gotcha. And okay. now he, I'm gonna now I'm gonna fly up and gotcha. meet his committee, right? So um, I, I know I shouldn't say this public, but it is kind of funny. So I first get to Congress and I've never been there. When you're in the CIA, right? You you'll do everything not to go to Congress. Um, <laughs> And so I lost, there's like multiple basements. I thought I was in the basement he was for me. I wasn't, there was a floor below me when I complained about it later on. Um, but anyway, I go, I sit at a table with a bunch of his staff. There's two really sharp guys on the committee. Um, one was like a congressman's son. You probably met both of them. They both, both questioned you. Anyway, two sharp guys, but it was funny. The staff director like fell asleep the whole time and was like snoring. Um, <laughs> I, the staff director is a really great guy. And, you know, I mean, he probably, it was like a bad day, but it was in, or I was boring everyone to death, right? Because they were asking me really detailed questions. Um, and so it was funny when I left, Trey's like, do you want to come work on my committee? I was like, no, they want me to come to DC and work in some basement. And I said, and then the guy fell asleep. He didn't even find me interesting. Um, and so we joked about it. And then he pulled the ultimate card and said, I'll let you stay in Florida. Cause you know, Florida is like the greatest state on earth. Um, yeah. And so, <laughs> yeah, so he pulled that out of his belt and I was like, Oh, well, if I get to live in Florida, I'd consider it. And so then I ended up joining his committee. Um, so I joined like basically the first week of January in 2015. The problem is, as I mentioned in the last episode, he hired me and I was a Democrat. So the Democrats on the other side of the committee kind of like lost it a bit. Um, It's weird. They had this theory that I knew all these like, I mean, I had full agency access, but they they thought I knew stuff that wasn't happening, right? Like it just didn't exist. And so they thought he hired me to like cover it up for the agency. They had this weird theory. So at first I couldn't work. So I think it was five or six weeks. I wasn't allowed to do anything, like even touch a computer because the Dems were protesting. Then they made a deal that they would question me under oath. So we did that. And then they went to CIA and asked CIA to have me fired from the committee. So I got pulled into CIA. I was at a table with all the CIA lawyers, with my staff director, the the Dem staff people. And then of course the CIA lawyers are like, this is unusual because she worked Benghazi, but we see no, we see no issues. So the CIA kind of said, she's not doing anything wrong. We have no problem with it. So CIA didn't oppose me being on the committee, if that makes sense. Um, If anything, the CIA was pretty great to the, our committee. Everything we asked for, they gave us access to in the CIA, which I agree with. Don't ever hand classified information to Congress. Make them come do your real thing and read it. <laughs> yeah. Like very smart of you, CIA. Um, so yeah, so that's what happened. So then finally after that, I was able to start working. It, w- it was almost the time the Dems stopped picking on me, but they did this weird thing that they're going to put out like a press release about my time overseas. It was very strange. Like, I don't know if there was going to be like some fake stuff in it because I was like, okay, if you want to say I was overseas, you got to go get it clear with CIA because, you know, we can't say the exact locations we were in. Yeah. I guess their write up had that. Um, and so I said, that's against the law. I mean, if you want to go get it approved, go for it. Like, I didn't know it was all in it, but I know that um, the leader on the Dem side, um, um, oh my gosh, why well, can't I think of his name this second? Elijah, was it Elijah, 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 Elijah. yeah, Cummings. He, yeah. He, he was like, guys, this is crazy. And he shot it down. Yeah, I mean, you know, 
I hope he rests in peace. I mean, you know, it, it's a sad, but anyway, he shot it down. So I didn't have to kind of fight that because he was like, what is this mess? Um, so then after that, after he kind of shot that down, I really wasn't bothered again by the Dems. But the sad part was, is Trey wanted us all to work together, right? He just wanted to be a joint committee and all that showed him, right? It was never going to happen. So there's two reports. There's the report we put out and then the report the Dems put out. The reports the Dems put out is like crazy. It mentioned yeah. Trump like a hundred times. I was like, how is Trump in a report? From I, uh, <laughs> I remember but, that. I re that but, was she Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. But you know what else they did, which is nuts. If, if you were actually following this at the time, you probably have it. They released all the classified debriefings on their website with the redactions, but you could hit the button. It was like the version of Adobe. You could hit the button and take the redactions off. So if anybody downloaded all those reports like that first day, they have every report unredacted. You know, like and, that, crazy. And, that's, and that's what killed is that nothing I, I remember that. I remember and because I remember <laughs> this was this is when I was doing a lot of the news and going on. So I was crossing paths with Adam Schiff all the time. And he was the one that was writing all that. The Demer, he was the one that was in charge. I know Elijah Cummings was in charge of it, but Adam Schiff was the puppet master on the Dem side. And I read, I was like, holy shit, how are they not getting in trouble for all this? I've, I signed 8 million non-disclosures that I can't even talk about where I got, where I left my socks in Benghazi and they're putting this shit up on the, all over the world and nothing is happening to them. Nothing. I know. And I was I just mean, like, I believe, I was like, this is bullshit. That's what got I me know. so pissed off. I was so angry I mean, the time. negative in Congress, you get those people, right? Who want yeah. to kind of be dishonest and play. I yeah. mean. So the Dems had some of them, as you've mentioned, sure. Schiff and Smith. I mean, they did have Tammy Duckworth. So they, they luckily, it was a yin and a yang. Obviously, Elijah coming. You're right. Eli Elijah was, Elijah treated me, I have said it before, he treated me very well. I didn't have any issues with Elijah Cummings. Behind the scenes, maybe he did other things. He would go on TV and say stuff that didn't happen. But I mean, in front of the scenes, behind the scenes, it was always, thank you. Thank you. You did, you did a tremendous job. In fact, the last conversation I had with him, he shook my hand. He said, hey we really appreciate what you did. But then again, he went on CNN and said we were lying. So it was always- Congress was just, plays their games. Yeah, I mean, you know, unfortunately they could play the games on both sides, but it was so I bad. Did. The Dems were so bad, as I said last time, I left the party. I mean, I'm lazy, so I maybe took a year to leave the party just because I was <laughs> had to do paperwork. Um, but but yeah, it, it gave me a bad taste in my mouth, um, some of the stuff I saw. I did. And you're right. Both sides. Mike Rogers, people don't remember him. He was a Republican, guys. And he shit, he he probably shit on us worse than worse than ever. And I don't think any Democrat actually shit on us worse than he did. Oh, and he's a Republican. It was horrible. It was, it was a terrible. Factual. I mean, I still have it. It's printed behind me. Um, it is so infactual. Like, I just it's like, where did you go? It's like they made it all up. They made it up. I, mean, I, really, I know. Really bad. I mean, whoever was on that staff should be embarrassed. Well, I, and during our I'll tell you, during our hearing, we had one of his aides. I forget. I think it was it wasn't Schiff's aide. It was some Democrats aide. You know, the little the little 22 year old in the back that thinks he knows everything asking us, hey, basically he was trying to get us to admit that we disobeyed orders. And I said, you don't have, I don't have to admit anything. Yes, I disobeyed orders. I said, he don't said, us to, he told us, not, I know. I said, he told us not to go. I said, they were burning. I said, they were burning in, in, the, in that building. I said, yeah. I said, and I would do it a hundred times again. I said, I'm not going to wait and let somebody die. And it just, it was completely egregious what he, questions that, that some 22 year old kid that has not even lived a life outside of his fraternity is trying to ask 
and trying to get us to admit, which we were freely able to admit because we were proud of what we did. It, but it just showed that when the report came out how awful it was, because right, it was full of fabrications, it was full of misrepresentations, lies. And actually, there's a, there's a rebuttal that me and Tig wrote. Tig can write, guys. I know he's a Marine, but he actually can write pretty well. Um, and it actually, it went out on, I think it went out on Breitbart or The Blaze that we wrote it, we sent it, and they're the ones that picked it up. And we we hammered everything that was wrong in Marge's report. So if you guys want to read that, it was during I was my old angry days too, guys. So I'm a lot nicer, gentler person now. But during those days, I was pretty, pretty pissed off. But yeah. like Sarah said, it, it, it had everything that was wrong in that Roger's report. And it, it's out there on the interweb. You can Google it, Google it somewhere. You'll find it. Yeah. Yeah, and me, you, and Tig were all talking at the same time. So everything yeah. you guys said was wrong in the report, and I included, is all the stuff I shared with Trey before I went on the committee. But also, you know, when I just started on the Benghazi committee and had to be questioned by their staff, they did have a staff member ask me, did you find out about the attacks and, like, leave in advance? So, like, they really asked me if I found out an attack was coming and, like, abandoned you guys. Oh, like, oh shit, there's like no loyalty in Congress, right? It's like, no, that people in CIA would never do that. Like, that's the craziest thing ever. Oh and for those that don't know, Sarah actually was our target in Benghazi. She had to go do some targeting stuff in Eastern Europe. And I'm not making that up. Seriously, her job took her out that week. It just was a coincidence. I can't believe they asked you if you left in advance. And yeah, you would never, you would let it. I'm sure, no, there's no doubt in my mind. If there was something going on, you would let us know way before. And we just, we just didn't know. Hey, uh, since since this kind of took off on Twitter and, you know, that clip in particular, I do see all the responses, some stuff completely irrational, some stuff, uh, you know, in, su in support of you guys. But one thing that I see a lot of and, and I figured at least like you can give your response to this. There's a ton of people who I think generally support what you guys did and everything that we're saying here. Um, and they are more on the pro team and Benghazi side, I guess, if you could call that aside. But a lot of them are convinced, uh, and I saw just a ton of these responses, Trey Gowdy didn't do enough. If, if, if Trey Gowdy did his job, people would have been held responsible. I mean, what, what's your response to those people, yeah. Sarah? It's actually a really good comment because one of the reasons I went on the Benghazi committee is I was hoping it would do oversight over to something that would do the attackers, right? So when I first joined, I did ask Trey. I said, Trey, the one thing I'm most interested in is going after the attackers. I don't think the government has done a good job, but he basically said, that's actually not in our purview. Like, here's the things we're focusing on. Here's our oversight bounds. We had a, we had a big wide open, right? Like they, it was a select committee. They could investigate most things, but it wasn't like, it's not like we had the team that would investigate the attackers, if that makes sense. We didn't gotcha. have the staff. I was the only Libya expert. One guy did work. He was working um, in another intelligence agency when it happened, and that's it. So we didn't have, he probably made the right decision. He, we didn't have the staff to do it, and it's not Congress's job anyway. It's an intelligence agency's job, right? It should be CIA. It should be FBI. It should be NSA. Yeah. Um, so I... As I said last time, Congress can only do so much for all these people who think like Trey was gonna like lock somebody up. I mean, that's delusional. It's just Congress doesn't do that. I know they're doing it now. I'm like, where did they get this magical power? Um, 
But back then they were even, you know, even to bring someone in, they threaten you with a subpoena, but then you do it. So you don't like get any trouble. You know, it's kind of this, even, you know, I joke with people, they're like, why did the committee go on so long? So we all thought the committee was gonna end like six, seven months earlier. And so we all lined up our next jobs. And the problem was DOD wasn't responding to Congress because it's like, they, were, they don't take Congress serious, a lot of these organizations, right? So they just were ignoring all of our responses. And finally, our staff director is like, no. Um, we did have a DOD guy too on our committee who was helping, I think, DOD. He's kind of the guy that basically said Fort Hood wasn't a terrorist attack. So, um, you know, he was already in some weird <laughs> camp. And I asked him why once, why did you do that? That makes no sense. Like all those people lost those benefits. I know they reversed it since. And he's like, oh, that was the easiest way to do it. I was like, what? But anyway, so I think he was kind of helping the DOD obstruct us, but he moved on to another job because like I said, we all thought it was leaving. And then our staff director was like, we're staying, we're getting the DOD stuff. And that's why our DOD section is actually so good. We continued the committee just to do the DOD section. Um, and I actually think it came out pretty great in the report. Um, I really think, you know, then it's up to DOD, right, to fix their crap. They didn't, right? But if they're not yeah. going to read the report and take it serious, I said this the other day, Congress can say, hey, here's what we investigated, here's the problems, but then those organizations have to then go fix themselves, yeah. or Congress can say, we're going to pull funds from you if you don't fix yourself, right? But you know how that's difficult too. You're going to pull funds from our troops and the DOD and the intel community. It's, it's, it's a very difficult system if you say, Congress needs to lead in the fix. Like these organizations and the people in these organizations need to lead in the fix. But this right. is also the problem with politics in general. I was going to say is just um, the same thing when I see on Twitter. I, I and I guess this is me kind of calling out. I guess you would say our side, and by our side, I don't mean Republicans or Democrats. I mean people who want to get to the truth on Benghazi and see people held accountable. I saw so many of the responses. I almost feel like people were some people were disappointed in part one of the interview because it's like, why didn't you talk about Hillary? And I think sometimes that's all people want to hear about. Even the one minute clip I have of you calling out Bob. And, you know, I think to a lot of us, Bob is like this faceless, nameless person. And somehow people interpreted your clip talking about what Bob did as saying, She's saying it here that Hillary did not, uh, you know, that had a stand down order. I'm like, I don't know where you're getting it from this clip. So I guess my point being, you either want to get to the truth on Benghazi, which is many different people who need to be held accountable. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. a ton of faceless, nameless people that a lot of people into politics have never heard of. Or you just want to focus on one person. And this is not me defending Hillary Clinton in any way. I'd like to see Hillary go away forever. And, and we did hear the other day that um, <laughs> she's not going to be running for president. Thank oh, God. That's too but, bad. I, uh... but, I, but I just feel like at the end of the day, I do think sometimes our side, I guess the people on the pro getting the truth at their side, um, just make it all about politics. When I think holding people accountable includes people like Bob that that people don't actually know. And none of us even know who Bob is except you guys. Which actually makes me wonder, by the way, what would happen if you re revealed who he was? Like, because because you guys seem to be have all the integrity in the world in terms of you're going to say what's going out there. But I know neither of you will ever say Bob's full name. And I know he did a piece anonymously basically yeah. saying, oh, these guys got it wrong. And, yeah. you know. Yes. I mean, we know Bob. The interesting thing with Bob is. In Benghazi, Bob was like our family. He was almost like a father or grandfather type of figure. You know, we all sat down with meals. He, 
as a human, he was a nice human, if that makes sense. I don't, I don't, he was a passive aggressive, passive aggressive yeah, no, no, is what no. he, I, for as me, I didn't, get, boss, along. I didn't get along. As a leader and a boss, he was passive aggressive. He, yeah. he never listened to anybody's ideas. He didn't know what he was doing and he overcompensated by yeah, not yeah. Doing what he was doing. Yeah. So, he, he should have been long out to pasture, retired. I mean, he, he, he was well in over his head, right? So yeah. at the end of the day, he was a failed leader, a bad leader in the CIA. CIA knew he was a bad leader. That's why they kept promising us. He's only there for a month. Promise he's only there for two months. Um, actually, when we got in that argument with the COS, he actually called Bob the end of the bench. He said, Sarah, I had to send him. He was the end of our bench. So, so you know, you, what a lot of people don't understand, in 2012, we're now 10 years into the war on terror, 10 plus. A lot of people sacrificed time from their families. I mean, you saw this when we had our female director um, yeah. in front of Congress. She said a lot of us women gave up having children because we had to go overseas to these war zones. Um, so 10 years in, it was hard to staff these places because people were like, I just can't keep going to war zones. I'm, I'm on my second divorce. I haven't seen my kids. It, it was really hard to sack people then. So you weren't unfortunately getting the best of the best. I mean, this is the problem. We can't have 20 year wars. Another thing is CIA doesn't hire people who are only meant for war zones, right? They hire yeah. people who can go in and talk to politicians and, 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 and mingle with academia. Like those people don't want to go and like, sit down with a warlord and afraid a bomb's gonna go off it's just it's just it's you know the war on terror really shook the cia and it made a lot of people go to their comfort zones and see i did a really good job with it but you can only maintain that tempo for so yeah, long you're right and that's what we talked about in the early show i i saw from 06 to 08 you started to see even 014 earlier than that those salty jawbreaker guys that started to filter themselves out and started to leave because they've been doing it for such a long time. You start to see these, these kids had no business being in a war zone, but that that's all we have. You can only go, you only have so many former special ops guys, so many former MI military intelligence people, so many former guys that want, and I say guys again, gender neutral term guys and gals, guys and gals that want to go into a war zone that have the experience come in 2010 we were scraping the bottom of the barrel. We weren't, we, you didn't have those, you didn't have those former spec ops or those former psyops people that wanted to come over also is because they were starting to get paid well too. And they were doing just fine where they were at. Why do I want to go to the CIA? I'm just going to get paid the same. I'm doing the same job. I, I, I'd like to stay where I'm at. So I, I agree. I agree in that. And also I agree too that, that, you know, I, I, I think as a country with social media, we want to see that hanging. We want to see somebody in the stockade like we did in the medieval times. And we don't just allow. And I'm, I, you know, I'm a big proponent of God. You guys know that. And that's how I let it go. It's like, they're going to get theirs. They're already getting theirs every day. They're already feeling it every day. I, if they don't feel some remorse or some guilty guiltiness, okay, Hillary probably doesn't, but what is she, where she's, she's going to hell guys. She is. I And I know that so there's no doubt about it. And I'm okay with that. I don't need to judge somebody anymore. I used to do that, but who am I to judge? Who am I? The, I've done enough sins myself that I don't need to judge anybody. So would it be nice to see somebody locked up and walking on the TV like this with the handcuffs saying you're responsible? Maybe, but I don't need to see that anymore. It's those that have to still see it. That's that keeps that anger going. That's not healthy. 
we're putting the information out there. We're finding out the truth. The ones that are responsible, they will have their day and their maker. They'll be facing God and the God's going to put them where they need to be. And I'm okay with that. And those like Sarah that came out and sacrificed a lot of shit to do the right thing. I know she's going to be okay when she meets her maker. She's going to go and she's going to be partying with Lucy in the sky with diamonds. She's going to be out there having a great time. The ones that didn't, they'll go to hell. That's, that's, that's all right. We're good. They're, they're going to find their come up. And so, um, yeah, guys, I, I, I don't know if Trey could have done anything, get back to Trey stuff. And this is my little spiel. Um, he put it out there. I would have liked him to act like the attorney general, but he wasn't the attorney general. So if you want to ask anybody, why wasn't anybody brought to justice? Ask Jeff Sessions. <laughs> That's who the right. question needs to go to. He put the information out there. He collected the information. He didn't, you guys weren't, weren't tasked to recommend the punishments, right? You guys were just tasked to collect the info. Well, turned it over to Jeff Sessions. It went anywhere. But you guys did find the info that needed. You, you did find out. That was the first time I found out that Gaddafi's loyalists were the ones that saved us, which your guys' reporter. It's like, holy crap, that's unbelievable. I didn't know Gaddafi saved us, but that should have been huge to Sessions, but he didn't do anything with it. Why? I don't know. Maybe we need to bring Jeff Sessions on the show and ask him. <laughs> what did you do? Well, yeah. I mean, I guess I'll go into that. Why Why do you think that he didn't do anything? Why do you well, think I, it I'm just- I'm do a quick sidebar before we jump, jump from it, and then I will. So, you yeah. know, Ian made a really good point, too. When you keep bringing up Hillary, then we're not getting justice, right? If you yeah. focus all on Hillary, and she can pull in all that energy, right? Like, she knows how to play it. If you focus on her- then you don't know who the attackers are. You don't detain them. You don't put them on the X. Like we don't get our justice. Um, you know, Hillary's Hillary, as Tonto said, horrible person in regards to Benghazi. I'll give you two examples because people want Hillary content. And, and then we're going to move on from Hillary and get back to our lives and hopefully <laughs> meet her on the internet and let her retire and, and, and be done with her. Yeah. But, so here's the two instances. So as a lot of people know, when our annex was struck, um, we actually had the State Department people helping fight on our roofs. So the CIA wanted to award the State Department people as well. Hey, you came to the annex, you know, you protected over 30 people, you're on the roof fighting. I mean, one State Department guy almost lost his arm and leg. Dave, Dave Ubin. No, wait, Dave, Dave Ubin and the two guys that came in from Tripoli, those three guys came up to help us. Yep. And, we, right. and we, we put them in the movie, guys. It's in there. You, you just watch right. it closely. You'll see them. Yep. So CIA wanted to award them as, at the ceremony, right? Hey, we want to award you for defending our compound. Hillary said you cannot award them because people died on our compound. So even though they protected way more people at CIA and helped you, she shot that down. Another thing that was really concerning is you bring up Dave, you know, this is the second point. Dave was in Walter Reed, um, yeah. severely injured. Thank God a GRS officer had the skills in um, Benghazi to save him because we lost our two medics. Roan and Bub, Roan was the, the medic for Tripoli, Bub yeah, was the medic for, tri for you know, Benghazi backwards, but you know what I mean? Um, yeah, flip it and, around. And so, so luckily other people had life-saving skills and they, they saved him. So he's in Walter Reed from the, the time of the attacks that he was there until the end of her term, she never visited him, said I was too busy. Her replacement, John Kerry, went his first week. She didn't even go and check on him, thank him for his service. And so that's why I say, hey, Hillary doesn't want to be a part of things. Let's just not let her be a part of things. Like, yeah. put her to the side. We're done with her. We got shit to do. And Hillary's not the one that's going to help us do it. So let's just be done with her. 
I yeah, think that's well, the, well said. that's the best way to do it. It is. So you just forget. I said that a while back as well. Forget about her. Let her go. Then she'll disappear. And honestly, that's going to hurt her and those around her more than anything. It's just being forgotten. Who, if you're a politician, what's the worst thing in the world that you want, especially a megalomaniac politician, for nobody to remember you, for nobody to talk about you? So done. Hillary's done. We don't want to talk about Hillary anymore. All right. It's yeah. like Vald- Voldemort. We don't say that word anymore. No more. <laughs> but in terms of uh, holding people accountable, actually getting back to the book, getting back into Benghazi, yeah. know thy enemy, people are being held accountable, as you kind of alluded to earlier, in terms of that there are guys dying that were responsible for the attack that it doesn't get any media as you said on the first show they just want that word benghazi to go away so they don't even mention it when they take out these terrorists and in this book you've identified how many people again who were behind the attack and and really get into who they are yeah sure so we so i just kind of want to make this clear we basically did an entire investigation so what we're putting in this book is today's like moment in time of our investigation if that makes sense the investigation is still going. So what we did is we set standards. So you had to have been confirmed at the consulate. We had to have your full given name. So the name on your birth certificate, you know, with your nationality. Um, and then we had to have your photo. So the photo couldn't be the crappy consulate camera photo. We had to have another photo of you to say this is the right person. Because what the government does, the government's so crappy at this. Like I'll go into a briefing and someone will be like, yeah, I'm, I work this. I'm the analyst or the targeter. I know everything about this network. And they'll put up a network chart and it says Abu, blah, 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 like fake name, Abu, 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 maybe one photo of the bad guys. Right. And I'm like, what the hell is this? So it's really funny. Like in our attack alone, the name Abu Dujana, we have six or seven of them. <laughs> yeah, it's one of Abu Musab's, right? Um, we have a ton of Abu Abdullah's. Don't give me a damn Abu name. Abu, like, no more Abu's. Yeah, I, like, no, I can't take it. I, I so so we set standards. So as long as someone met those three standards, they go on our list. So we have over a hundred attackers on our list who meet those three standards. Yeah, I've got a separate question for you, and this is during our tri- time there. We got in trouble for this. Me and Boone actually got in trouble for this as well. It's when the um, the BT carb guys came in, the the the, the radio, the cipher guys came in. Mm-hmm. Remember, there were four Iranians that came in, and we and actually we're the ones. I they asked us to take them out to track them. We got in trouble for it later from Bob because we were supposed to be tracking Iranians. Did that? Ha- and I never got a clarification on it. If you can't tell me, you can't tell me, but. Did that have any play? Because that was just a couple of weeks before the attack. It just seems coincidental that we had the Iranians coming in to visit or set up a hospital there in Benghazi. Do you remember anything about that at all? Do you remember, did it have anything to do with the attack? Were there, was there some Iranian involvement? I know there was Qatari involvement, obviously, but was there any Iranian involvement to, to the attack at all? Were they trying to help out or was that just, just pure coincidence that those four Iranian doctors, I think they said they were, that came in? Sure. Yeah. Um, so this was right before I came to Benghazi, but I, I know plenty about, um, a lot of people don't know this, but after I worked um, Pakistan, I worked Iran. So I, yep. I was an Iran expert too. I get to That's why I'm that. asking you. That's <laughs> why you're an expert. That's um, why. No. So the thing is, is the only Iranian intelligence officers in East Libya at the time were the captured ones. Okay. So, so Rafal al-Sahati captured them in the summer and they were still detained during the attacks, right? At his compound, okay. his headquarters. So there were no Iranian I, I, 
people liked there's a whole book on the Iranian thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I read that. By the way, don't read that book. Um, but so yeah, so the only Iranian intelligence officers in the East, right, were detained. So number one, that shows you the, the militia hated the Iranians, hated yeah. them. Um, there would have been no Iranian involvement. Iran tried to put get some influence, you know, they're not a cutter. Um yeah. They're not a Turkey. They tried to get influence in the Libya and they were like shut down pretty yeah. much after even that detention of, they detained, detained seven of them. Um, Iran, Iran was like, okay, Libya is just like too hot. It ain't worth it. It's already made some bad press. I mean, you know, you captured Quds Force people. It's embarrassing, right? Yeah, yeah. You're the most elite in Iran and some schmuck in Benghazi's capturing you. Um, he wasn't a schmuck, we learned later on. He was Al-Qaeda's lead commander for Benghazi. Yeah. But we all were like, damn, Iran's looking like shit. So yeah, they, the Iranians weren't involved in any way. Good. Um, okay. So. And that's why I was, because some people asked me about that. And then you're right, that book came out and like, I, we went to check who they were, but that's as far as I, I knew. And as far as right. I knew, there weren't any in, in the country. There, It was never a threat to us. We never got a threat analysis or a threat reporter or a be on the lookout. Hey, don't go in this area. There are Iranians like we would when we're in Herat or somewhere else, you know, closer to yeah. the border. And another really good point to mention is at the time they were negotiating to get their people out. That's okay. They weren't going to take any missteps. They wanted to get their, you know, intelligence officers gotcha. the heck out of Libya before they were like killed or whatever. So they were just like, tell us what you want. Um, and remember, the people they wanted were from Iraq. So Iran now was spending all their time talking to the Iraqi government. Hey, you got to give us these detainees because we got to get our Cuds Force guys back. So they were involved in high level negotiations and they were just not involved in anything to do with our attack. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I was a coincidence. No worries. Um, oh, but I, I got a funny story though. Remember, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, because I, I remember those same type of guys came to Tripoli and I kidnapped them. What? No, I don't remember Why, that. you gone already? Oh. I don't remember. What, what happened? I yeah, remind so, me. Well, so we wanted to do capture operations, but remember we had no capture team. Yeah. And the same guys came to Tripoli to kind of do their surveys. And I said, oh, they have the skills to capture. Let's just keep them. And me and GMAG kidnapped them and kept them there for, gosh, a long, like they were supposed to be there three or four days. And we kept them there over like a month. And they kept complaining back to their office and Germany that we kidnapped them and um, we're like forcing them to work. Um, yeah, so I, th I thought you were there. You must have left before then. I must have left, right? I don't, I don't it was remember. A huge scandal kid. that we kidnapped two Americans. <laughs> Way to way to go, guys! That's awesome. Do you have any questions on that? <laughs> I don't even know where to go with that one. Like, oh my god, what are you doing? I, I no, I had gone. I was not part of that capturing. Not saying I've never been a part of something like that. I never have, but I, but it, it shit happens. Shit happens in war. Yeah, I, but you need bodies. You get them how you can get them. You get what you can. I, 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 you know, to 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 finish and end up here, I, you know, the select committee's done. Um, you know what happened after? Because I, I remember that was kind of rough because you you know you you were you, you I don't know you couldn't go back to right you couldn't go back to the agency at that time. Am I right after the right, select? Right, because I, I left the agency to go you be left on the, the agent, agency. So yeah, you can't just like go back and forth. You can't, so what what direction or did you have any paths that you wanted to go on? I know you were thinking about doing this project, but that was I mean that was seen like years ago now. Um, what 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 was your step? How, what was the path? And what get you led you down to where yeah you know what now I'm going to do this book and we're going to find out the attackers and then also 
put out a lot more stuff that even the guys that were on the ground didn't know because you had, you were privy to it. I mean, which was awesome. I'm glad you were because you're putting a lot of great stuff out and you're helping me. I hate to say closure. I don't like using closure too much, but it does. It, it gives me a little closure as well. So, but what happened? Select committee's done. Then where did you go from there and, and how were you feeling? And were you kind of feeling lost? Because now I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I got nothing to do. And I know how busy, how a busy body you are, which you are. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like I told you, the select committee got extended. So the summer yeah, before it was extended, I, you know, I had a job. I was going to go to a war zone. Um, then the committee got extended. And when the committee ended, there was a government freeze, right? That's, that's when Trump that's right. came in and he yeah. froze all hiring. So unless I stayed in Congress, which I had no interest in doing, um, I was like, shoot, I'm going to have to go private sector because you know, I think the only thing he left open was maybe the border patrol. Um, so there, I couldn't go anywhere in the government. So I started priving, applying private sector. But as you know, my job now was the Benghazi committee, yeah. um, which, you know, lots of times CIA hurts you because people have weird views about CIA and think we do these like horrible things. But then when you put Benghazi committee on top of it, it, it was pretty tough. I had actually a few people like call me up and be like, we're not going to give you the job because we're in the Benghazi committee, but we thought you'd be really interesting to talk to. And I was like, what? Don't waste my time. Yeah, uh, yeah that's, so that is weird. Yeah. So my first job after the Benghazi committee was actually with JetBlue. So like I said, I went into the- Oh, that's right. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Yeah. Invest investigate Was it investigative division? The JetBlue? Yeah, and it was, yeah, it was their investigative team and they wanted to kind of bring someone in to do kind of be their analyst and targeter. And we kind of developed a whole kind of program where we look for criminals, human traffickers, money launderers, drug smugglers, like that oh, wow. type of stuff. You know, we did- terrorism wasn't a big thing in the airline industry. I think we had one ISIS threat to JetBlue like the whole two years I was there. So it was all that other type of crime, right? Okay. Um, so so yeah, like I worked with JetBlue and like our local FBI field office. So it was kind of more law enforcement. Um, all my bosses were retired NYPD, you know, great guys. <laughs> um, fun, right? It's like yeah. everyone you work is retired NYPD. Um, I felt retired. I actually, one of the reasons <laughs> I had to leave JetBlue, right? It's like, I kind of need to do more. Um, and I really wanted to get into technology. And so when this job I'm in now popped up, it was in DOD. We do research and development um, for the government. So we basically go find ways to make the government work better, faster, smarter. Oh, um, so the job opened up, I thought it was a perfect fit, and then I rolled in. To go back to the other part of your question, when we started this investigation was actually pretty early on into the Benghazi committee. We started it before, like I said, we started an A to Z nuts and bolts Benghazi investigation. So boring. I have it on files on my computer. Like, oh my God, it's, it's you know, if you ever want to read it, I have tons of dirt in there probably. But um, when I was on the Benghazi committee, um, we went over to CIA. I went over there all the time. That's where we had to read the documents. And one of the times I was there, I got into the elevator with an analyst. Um, you know, I told this story in another podcast when that was in the division, right? That would work Libya. And he was one of those just kick ass, you know, you're like, you want to work with him. Um, and so he was like, Hey, what are you doing now? And of course I said, Benghazi committee, which, you know, not always was the best thing to say. Like, sometimes I'd be like Congress. Um, so, so he threw his hands back, you know, he's a little dramatic guy. He threw yeah, his yeah. hands back and he was like, um, Oh, I wouldn't touch that with a 10 foot foot pole. And I was thinking, wow, if kind of one of their best analysts is saying this to me, they're not working the Benghazi yeah. hackers. So that's, I actually went home after 
the CIA and I called Boone because I've been pushing Boone. He wanted to do this long, boring investigation into everything, right? State, the DOD, yeah. CIA. And I said, and I was just like, all that matters is the attackers. Everyone wasted so many years on all these other little yeah. buckets. Like, let's go after the damn attackers. So when I called him and said, CIA is not doing the attackers. I mean, maybe I was right, maybe I was wrong. I convinced him and that's when we kind of went gun ho and we're like, we're just gonna ID, you know, we're a little idealistic. We're just gonna ID everybody. Um, we're close. I mean, even the ones we don't have, we either have their cunhas or we know who has the information. We just ran out of money to pay for it. Um, so, because we self-funded the entire investigation. So, you know, to, to get people's, even someone's true name might cost money, right? So yeah. we, um, we basically, did all the best we could do it's actually to a point we actually stopped now i mean it actually it seems like it coincides with a 10-year but we stopped last summer and then we put it through approvals right because we're like well we need to get this approved to put sure. out. and then we've been updating it since so we've actually gotten a lot just in this last year so now though it's to the point right where we need someone else to move the ball forward. I mean, sure. so if a guy's in Southern Libya in Sabha, you know Sabha. Oh, I remember, yep, I remember up on the rooftop many times. Right. Drinking so we coffee got a big target sure. in Sabha, right? Well, me and Boone aren't going to go action him in Sabha. Like, yeah. we don't live in the movies. So we need a nation state to go drop a bomb on him in Sabha. Mm -hmm. so, so we're at the point, right, where we have the people. We now need to give it to the governments who will take the action. So that's kind of the piece we're at now. Gotcha. Got well, I, and I think, you know, if somebody with ethics will, it, it's not going to be right off the bat because I don't think there's a lot of ethics in Northern Virginia or DC, but somebody will. There are people with ethics there. Obviously you're one of them. And I worked with the, quite a few that the country TL that was in in Libya, tremendous guy. I, I love that guy, especially as a contractor. He was, I think he had a he had a lot of integrity as well. And and also like you you spoke about, I know we can't tell say his name, but the gentleman, the GRS guy that came from Tripoli that acted as the medic. I worked with him for many, many, many years. Tremendous guy as well, even though he he's also a little, wears two shorter shorts when he wears he always does. Yeah, it's it, it's that and it, that haircut. He always has the high and tight going. I was like, man, we're out of the dude, we're out. I you gotta let you let your hair grow out. Uh, but tremendous guy as well. So there is the possibility that somebody else will take it forward. Um, yeah, and to be honest, we don't care if it's the United States. I mean, we've kind of given up on yeah. the United States. Yeah. Um, you know, we're happy with Haftar. It, yeah. it gives him more information. The Algerians, the Tunisians, the French, yeah. um, the Turks. There's a lot in Turkey. The negative is the, Tur the Turks are also on the side of the terrorists because they're on the side of the government of Libya. So we don't think the Turks are going to get too involved. But there are a couple that were like ISIS. And that makes Turkey look bad. And so we do think there could be some potential play with Turkey. There's also um, a very well-known Al-Qaeda guy that people think is dead and he's in hiding in Turkey. And we actually put mm -hmm. the city in the book. So we do think that there is play and we do think foreign governments might move forward with some of this. I, I think they will. I, it just takes time and it takes the right, you know, right place, right time or a wrong place, wrong time for the terrorists. But uh, as you see, it's always it's like the perfect storm. It always ends up and oh, we got him. And it may just be something where they just holy shit, he's right there. We got him. Let's do it. And, and somebody with some balls does it. It's the ones that say, wait for that command structure to go down the line. It's like trying to catch a fish and you want to flow your line out there and the smart one finally does, but usually it's, Hey, let's go ask my dad. Then let's go ask grandpa. Then let's go ask great grandpa. And by then fish is gone. But 
Actually, yeah. people like yourself didn't do that. You 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 say, let's get it done. And, and most of the time, the shit got done, which was and, excellent. Excellent. The thing we tried to focus on is lots of times governments haven't gone after these guys because they don't know they were involved or they don't even know they're involved in other attacks. So we did a really good job of putting their backgrounds in there, putting the terrorist groups they're involved in, actually putting their networks, right? Hey, <laughs> here's the bad guy they've been friends with. Here's the bad guy who mentored them. Here's where they went in Syria. Wow. Just wow. so somebody can say, hey, I actually have evidence to put him on the ass. I've been wanting to go after this guy. No one's listened to me that he's a bad guy. Here he is, here's his photo. Um, and that's the way we did it. So this isn't kind of written for the general public. I mean, the general public will find it interesting because it's like, wow, like here's like kind of a look into how someone would do something in the CIA, right? Like this is, this is super cool. Like I get to read all about this terrorist, but we wrote it for our industry to do something with. And it's, it's a shame that us, we won't take advantage of it uh, <laughs> as far as the American government, but the guy that is in charge right now, he was the VP and he washed his hands out. He said, I want nothing to do with Benghazi when he was vice president. So to think that he's going to do anything about it, obviously not. Right. It's not going to happen. Um, last thing we got, and I, I wanted to go through with you, you, you helped with Afghanistan and we really talked about that. We're kind of shifting gears. You know, you really did help people get out of there. Um, you know, I, I have to ask you because of your background, you know, and I want your, your mindset on this, but also I want to know how things were going and how you got people out best you can. Tell us about that if you have a story. But the, the, the actual drawdown, the actual failed leaving of Afghanistan, you spent many years there. You know, what, what's your feeling on it? What were you seeing? What was going through your head when you saw the debacle that was transpiring? And again, I, that's where I met you was in Kabul. So I know you've got a lot of friends there and I know it probably hit close to home, but you know, I kind of want to get your feelings on that. Yeah, I met you in a nearby place, but because I have to say South Asia, you know where I mean. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I, you know, I actually am a little embarrassed. So when it first started happening, I was keyboard warring and I hate those people, but I was doing it right. <laughs> oh my God, like when Herat was about to fall, I was like, keep the US government out of it. They're going to negotiate for them to, like, <laughs> Afghans fight, right? Like the US government's asking you to be weak and like surrender, which we did, right? And so, so I was spending all my time like in it what I felt in it, right? But just reading the press, not in it. And I was complaining about it. And I was like, oh my God, like the next city's gonna fall. Like I just knew Taliban's taking it in days, you know? Um, the funny part is while I was keyboard doing my boarding, you know, uh, an Afghan who I'm friends with, he, but he lives in America, he's an American, you know, he was an Intel officer. He writes me just, I said something about the vice president. He wrote back and we went to DM and we went back and forth discussing. And I just dropped a line, one of our CIA colleagues, he runs Deliver Fund. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, yeah, 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 they do human trafficking, right? Yeah, so they had um, brought a bunch of donors together to do housing for Afghans. And so the, the CEO of it said, hey, if you need anyone in America that needs housing at the time, let me know. So I kind of dropped that to him. I said, hey, do you have any family coming from Afghanistan? You know, I have a friend. Um, a former colleague who's going to do housing. And he said, oh, no, but my family needs to get out. And so this is the first day, right? So I think I'm all in the news. I think I know what's going on. And then an Afghan tells me, yeah, my dad can't get in the airport. His dad was special forces. He's an intel officer. He'd been working through, for the United States since he's seven, he was 17. He's like in his 30s now. And I'm like, what, your dad? Your parents can't get in the airport. He had like two sisters married to Americans. Um, so wow. it, it blew my mind. And at first I thought, 
I don't know why he's asking me, right? What a crazy lunatic to ask me. And so I didn't take it serious. I was like, so for like a day or two, I was kind of like, so strange. I actually told Boone because we were doing this invest. We were actually finishing off the investigation to send it to the agency. So it was horrible timing, right? Because I had to get everything to send it to review. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, yeah, this guy asked me to save his parents. I don't, I don't even know anything about so two days later he circled back and said i'm really serious like if you don't get my parents in the airport like they're not going to get out they're going to kill them because you know everybody yeah. in my town knows i'm an intel officer so that's actually when i got involved and the funny story is um i was like okay if i'm going to get involved i'm going to save this family i don't give a damn what i could do so you know what i did Tonto, you'll laugh i call eric prince oh my <laughs> oh, no. well because i was like I was like, who do I call, who in America? Cause you know, I knew nothing about saving people. Like yeah. I know how to save our own people, but I don't know how to save like random people from a country. So I called him up and you know, I didn't know him. I knew, you know, we're in the same circles but he's like up here in the circles and I'm down here in the circles. Um, and I was like, yeah, I worked with all your guys overseas. Like I need you to like send a plane and go save some people for me. And he goes, sure. Oh. So, Wow. So, shit. wow. We actually didn't need to need his plane, but it still is a funny story. So, so he, um, actually another one of our friends, he worked also in the country near Afghanistan <laughs> with me. He, he apparently went ask Air Prince too. So I wasn't the only one with this really bright idea. Um, so he basically was going to send a private plane and put my seven on. And then my friends, he had like five, six or seven. So I saw the manifest, um, funny thing. It leaked somehow. Um, and so there's a whole press report that Prince was going to send it in and do like- Yeah, I, re I remember seeing, reading that. Yeah. Oh, so, you start, so you started that shit. You're I, I started that shit, but the crazy part is Prince was going to send in a plane and pick up my family on his own dime. So yeah. it actually infuriated me. I, I actually probably commented on every time someone put that damn press report on LinkedIn. Cause I was like, no, like there was like 14 people on his little plane and he was doing it for me. And then, do you know Bodie? Oh, come on. Yeah. Yeah, okay. of course. <laughs> of course. Me and Bodhi each had families. And so he was yeah. flying in just to take our families for free on his own dime. So I was actually kind of irate. We ended up not having uh, to use, number one, it took me so long to get the family in the airport. Like I didn't get the family in the airport until after the suicide bombing. And then at that point they said only Americans, we still got in through throwing some fits. But um, so when we got in the airport, it's crazy because you know, everybody was volunteering in Afghanistan at that time, because by that time, people were like finding out the truth, at least in our circles. So three people in my office were doing the manifesting. So the second we got in the airport, they put them on the first plane. So they were gone within 15 minutes. Oh, so we didn't oh, even bring cool. in a private plane. Um, so, but just to point out, you know, like people in our community, you know, he didn't even know me. And he said, I'll send you a plane. You know, I said, hey, this family's really important to me. He's like, I'll put them on it. I'll take them out. And that's how our community works. That's how it normally is. If you call those type of people, they will come and help you save people. And I think, I mean, that's just, you know, one of those feel good stories and not just at his level, right? As you know, so I've been yeah. doing it for a year now. Every, we got grandmas volunteering. We got college students. We got people from all over the world. I mean, every day I'm talking to people in like every country that are trying to save Afghans. So a lot of people have come together on this. And it is really sad, you know, we, we talk about saving Afghans, but the negative is so many die. So even the yeah. thing I wake up when my Afghan, um, so I got all my Afghans out now, except maybe like two are still there. One's about to be out, but you know, my, one of my favorite ones that I have out across the border, you know, his, 
his uncle just got killed. He was former um, military, Taliban went in and murdered him. Um, it's very sad. It, people have no idea. We have a ton of former assets. Every day they're getting killed. It's the amount of people getting killed. It's not in the press. And of course the, not. Thing is, yeah. the thing is, what Taliban does is they go in and kill one of your family members. They say, if you tell an American, we're going to come back and wipe out your whole family. So yeah. they'll tell us, right? But I'll never say who his uncle was because I don't want them to go back and wipe out the rest of the family. Even his, his wife's still there and they go to her house every week, search the house. They search for documents. They destroy people's passports so they can't leave. So, so her, her documents are hidden in a pretty good spot that we came up with. But yeah, they'll go in, destroy the documents so the wives can't leave. I mean, the women in that country are just, they've all been trapped or all being forced into marriages. And none of it's in the press. So, so we're doing some good, but what's happening in Afghanistan? I mean, I work Ukraine too. What's happening in Afghanistan is insane. Like I, the thing that's happening to these people, it, it's, it's just, it's just breaks your heart. Well, we, and we all saw that coming. Everybody that's worked there could, could have called that from day one. And it pisses, yeah, that pisses me off more than anything because our media is complicit to not reporting that because again, it, it's these stupid politics. They got to keep this knucklehead in power. Our guy, they can't say anything bad about him, even though he's caused more turmoil and more carnage. I think even in the little, than the second Bush did with us in Iraq. I, you know, it's, and people might hate me for saying that because I'm not playing politics. I'm just saying what it is. This guy's Democrat, this guy's Republican. They both caused carnage. It happened. And media is going to be complicit to protect protect both until later years. I'm sure ten years down the line, somebody will report something like you're talking about in Afghanistan. But those that worked in Afghanistan, we saw that from day one. We knew as soon as it was falling. Well, there goes all the women's rights. All you guys are about women's rights, except Afghanistan, I guess. So yeah, we'll just yeah. worry about and, that. And another big issue is if, if you're an Afghan and you don't really have someone helping you, there's no way to get out. There's so yeah. much corruption. It's thousands of dollars for visas and passports. I'm really lucky. My big grouping of Afghans, their boss, and he's not even really their boss anymore, right? They worked for him for a very short time he funds everything for them. So he's like, I want you to save them. I want you to get them out from his own pocket, right? Not out of a business. So I'm in, luckily in a situation, cause you know, we're like 12, 13 months into this. These people don't have jobs. A lot of them living yeah. in third countries now. No, they don't have any kind of work visas or refugees. Um, so it's also like, a, it's so expensive. There are volunteers who've mortgaged their homes, sold their property. There's, there's volunteers who's sold their homes. There's tons of divorces, right? Because people are going broke yeah. and because they're trying to save these Afghans. Um, veterans are getting really traumatized by this. You know, they're, they tried saving their turp and their turp got murdered, yeah. you know, like months ago. They, you know, they tried seven, eight months and it gets murdered. They tried to keep them safe. That's the thing. People spend so much time trying to keep these people safe and they couldn't keep them safe. We're going to have a whole generation just of Americans who are going to need mental help after this. Um, yeah, it's just there's there's a lot of costs that people don't actually see because it's not in the press anymore and politicians Absolutely. in northern virginia don't care if you're a veteran out there and you can i mean i i helped just by writing a letter for two of my terps and that actually helped but hey just write a letter it's good good signature on it through it and that helped them get out of the country i i mean I'm, i mine was early on so i'm glad they got out um I, one went to the netherlands i think i said the other one went to canada but even as a veteran, that's if, if that's all you can do, it, it can help. If you've worked with somebody, just putting your John Hancock on a letter and saying, this is me, this is my unit, this is who I'm with, and sending it on. I mean, as simple as simple as that, or getting in depth as, as Sarah has, 
which you know you you have you really you really put the work into it. Um, I know we're we're ending up here because I got, actually got another podcast I got to do here. Oh, but, look at you! But but um, I, well, what shoot, time what do you have you to just, go? You have to go like now or? Uh, we got a couple minutes. Couple minutes. So because um, we'll, I mean I was just <laughs> gonna say for one, yeah, that it was amazing to hear all of that. The Eric Prince story, honestly, incredible. And just to be honest, there's been a lot of negative stuff in the press about Eric Prince recently. We've covered it. I'm going to cover the negative and the positive. I, yeah. I think that's what you should do in terms of just being as objective as possible. And that certainly puts them in a good light. And it's not a story I heard about. I don't think it's a story anybody heard about. So, so this was yeah. awesome to hear. I guess, uh, Chris, if you have to go, because I was going to say real quick, then uh, I did want to at least ask you about what you're doing in Ukraine in terms of the volunteering there, because I know that's what's been your focal point right now we're good keep going keep going and we'll finish up sure yeah so you know as i said i was heavily involved in afghanistan a lot of the people working in afghanistan shifted to ukraine mostly because they said hey we already have the networks we already have some funding coming in we know how to do this we're basically working in a war zone in afghanistan we can shift and a lot of people have experiences in war zones so i was first asked to start getting involved in ukraine i was like yeah just add me to a group and i'll like hang out in the back like I yeah want, right yeah. no I 100% I even told the executive assistant of the man I work in Afghanistan she's like oh are you gonna get involved in Ukraine now and then it was funny a few months ago when I got promoted to COO she sends me a message I thought you weren't getting involved in Ukraine I was like I know um but <laughs> yeah so I honestly so we started this little group 20 people and our only thing we were planning to do is share information across groups so hey we found out Russians were stationed here or we found out this border is is has a really bad delay go use this one like that kind of information just basics and that group has grown to thousands we actually now have a whole umbrella organization we have over 30 ngos under us we don't just share information we actually um, do evacuations we do route planning we do um, humanitarian aid we're, we're starting to get ready for the winter we're doing winterization as it's called um so yeah we we are all the way in um Obviously, it was really bored in the beginning when you were doing evacuations. Then, you know, they became a lot more Russian-occupied areas. So we were doing evacuations, but now it was riskier. So that's when we shifted a lot to the route planning, trying to keep people safe when they went in. And then, like I said, now we're kind of thinking a little more active recovery. I mean, we're still trying to save people that need it. But, you know, these cities have to still keep running. People have to yeah. keep eating. And a lot of people don't realize is when all these refugees move to the other cities in Ukraine, they stuck them in the schools. Well, now the schools are about to open. And now, like, you got to find homes for these people. So there's all these little things that I'm learning, right? Like, hey, during a crisis, like it ebbs and flows. One month you work this, one month you work that. And so that's been pretty rewarding because, like I said, it just keeps shifting what our focus is, what the needs are. Um, you know, the big organizations aren't doing much, you know, like don't send your money to UN or the Red Cross. Yeah. Like, they're not even like in country anywhere. Like you gotta give money to these small NGOs. Like they're the ones making a difference. They're the ones feeding people, getting people generated. Is there, are there ones that you'd recommend? So people, if they list the show, they could go to their sites or at least yeah. search them. We actually, we, we treat all of our partners equally. So we just have a website. It's called uncn.1. Nice. Um, I think he still is at that one. We, our IT guy keeps changing stuff. Some things are changing to .me. Like my email is .me now. So I'm like, and he jokes. There it is. It doesn't go to technology. She might not be on this. Um, so 
if you go there, we list them all. So like, let's say you're interested in tra human trafficking. You can see who works human trafficking. If you're interested in evacuations, you can see who works evacuations. We have some really great organizations, you know, for evacuations, you've probably heard Project Dynamo. They're um, our, one of our main evacuation teams. They actually did an evacuation the first day Russia invaded, like kick ass. They knew, saw it coming, they got prepared. They actually brought out Americans from me from Afghanistan in October. So I've had a long relationship with them uh, at this point. Awesome. We do a lot of things <clears throat> caring about veterans. As you know, there's so many veterans involved in supporting Afghanistan, Ukraine. So one of another good partners is Flanders Fields. They, they basically, you know, help care for veterans, um, you know, with, with the mental side of things. And they're just an amazing team. Um, they, they do the whole gambit. I mean, they were even helping us with like safe houses when we first were moving bodies out of Ukraine. They, they, can, they can do it all. So there's just, there's so many great partners. We got another one called like Carry the Future. It's just, when you go on the website, you'll see it's, it's just like kick-ass. Um, a lot of the Afghan people came over. So you know Perry Blackburn, don't yeah. you? So Perry Blackburn is one of our guys. He runs an organization called AFG Free. He's on the ground. I mean, he was doing evacuations, but he's also gone in there and trained the Ukrainians too. You know, we try to stay in the humanitarian side, but it's a war and it crosses over sure. sometimes, right? Like sure. sometimes, so like for an ex a hospital is a great example. They take care of the wounded fighters. They take care of the wounded civilians. Like we're going to support what that hospital needs. If they need cots, we'll get the cots in there. If, you know, they need tourniquets, we'll get the tourniquets in there. So, you know, it, it can get gray at sometimes, but, but it is a huge humanitarian response. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm on the That's site awesome. right now. So it's, it's uncn.1 spelled out. So uncn.one. Um, in terms of the book, Benghazi, Know Thy Enemy, I really hope it gets out there soon. It sucks that you have to go through this clearing process because you and I were talking yeah, about it. I even sent it to Tonto that, um, <clears throat> you know, there is that book out that's out this month uh, by Ethan Shore in Benghazi, A New History of the Fiasco That Pushed America and Its World to the Brink. Um, and it's not saying anything positive or negative. None of us really know him. But the fact that it's out this month, it kind of takes away some shine from your book, which we'd like to see the spotlight on your book and getting your book out there. So, I mean, I just hope the clearance happens in these next few days because we were hoping to see a 9-11 or 9-12 yeah. release date. Yeah, and you know what, honestly, um, I, I've read what his book's about. We don't know him. He says he was running an NGO in Benghazi at the yeah, time. I mean, I, I spent a lot of time that you're in Tripoli. Anyway, don't, we don't know him. He, maybe State Department did. Um, but, you know, just getting it out is okay. I don't feel it's competition. I mean, when you see my book, my book is no Pulitzer. It's not, it's written to write, we'll put guys on the X, super strange. <laughs> You're not going to get a book like that. And you know, some really great books came out this week. We got Crisis in Command, you know, Stuart Scheller. We got Operation Pineapple Express, Scott Mann. So, you know, I'm not in this to compete. I love these people who step up to the government and say, hey, there's a better way of doing things. We need to fix the problems in our government please bring on those books. Like, I love these people. Like, you're our community. We support you. Um, if my book comes out a couple of weeks late, so be it. I mean, our guys are getting killed. That's all I care about. Like, you know, another Benghazi attacker died today. Um, so that's the point of it. That's awesome. Anyway, and, hey, uh, you know, I'm going to push it. So I, I know everybody that luckily that, that follows my stuff, they're going to buy it. So you'll at least get a couple 10 20 20 people <laughs> but, but, like i said the, this these clips are are getting a ton of press and uh and or a ton of publicity i guess through twitter through all that through friends of ours in the media right i mean even though you're not going to see these interviews on fox news or cnn our friends like 
like I said, Sarah Carter from Fox News putting well, it out and, there. And Andrew, Grant, you know, Grant Stitchfield, he's at Newsmax. He's got a tremendous following there. I mean, you're, you're going to get, I, I would assume if they- But want, I don't think he put our clip out there. I'm shouting out Sarah Carter. She put oh, our so clip I, out there. Actually, I think he, he talks about it on his radio show. He's at LA radio show in the morning. He's mentioned us? He if he has, show. that's awesome. And Stitchfield, yeah, he's he's a, he's a buddy. So, and he mentioned, and of course, he's going to want to have you and Sarah's, a, well, Sarah's huge. I, I didn't know who she was. I'll be honest, Sarah. I didn't know who you were because I don't follow Fox News anymore. But with millions, oh, said, Sarah Carter, Sarah yeah. Carter, Sarah Carter. Of course, he knows yeah. me. How I know. Yeah, I'm like what? Sarah Carter, but Sarah <laughs> Carter. There. But with the millions, you said she got. I mean, that's that's going to yeah. be. Yeah, Will, Will Cal put it out there too. Yeah, Dineen Will Cal So Will everybody Cal. who put it out there, it's awesome. Um, once again, the book is Benghazi: Know Thy Enemy at Ascari Media Group on Instagram, and then you have a new Twitter, which is at Benghazi Attacks on Twitter. Um, but pick up the book because even though we went long in these two episodes, there's going to be plenty yeah. that you have not heard that's going to be in the book. And luckily, I would say all the responses I'm seeing are not people who feel like they heard enough already. There, there's people saying they're energized, they want to read this book, and a lot of people saying, "I don't see the book. I'm on Amazon right now." So it, you will see it in the next few weeks. Yes. Yeah, it's frustrating for us too. I was so depressed yesterday because it was supposed to actually be our original release date. Like I said, I'm in a better mood now that we took out a really big AQAM guy. But, um, nice. you know, it is it is what it is. Um, actually, I promised my followers on LinkedIn I would release the list of all the, the terrorist door kickers for 9-11. So if you actually are on LinkedIn or you'll, it'll get shared, um, we are going to put the names out. So they belong to us. We did an investigation into the actual attackers unclassified on our own. There are people, our pictures, our data. So, yeah, that's going to get released no matter how long they delay our book. Awesome. And I do hope that uh, this this uh, show inspires people to just seek the truth, because I see a lot of people who listen to the show. And and I guess, unfortunately, some of the responses are like, this made me so angry. And I don't think it should be inciting anger. It should just be uh, that that we want the truth out there. We want people held accountable. And I, I think you've said it before, too, Chris. I mean, it's like, you know, we do a show that's usually inspiring. So I hope that this doesn't, you know, change the mood of things that people are just like, I'm I'm pissed now that things aren't, you know, where they should be with this 10 years later. Uh, I don't think that helps anything. I think what helps is doing shows like this and getting these names out there, getting this information out there. That's what's important. Well, and, so show, and, and showing, showing Sarah, I mean, she's persevered. How many years you've been doing this? You've been trying to get to the bottom of this for seven years. I've known you. Uh, I, I know how much of it, you know, how much you, you're, pitiful. you you just want to, if you find something, you hang on to it till, till it gets done. So I, I think that's inspiring in itself. I really do just your work ethic and, and you don't give up. Uh, and that's what our show is about. It's about never giving up and you, you didn't, and you still haven't, and you're still helping people out there. So yeah, it's going to make people angry because those that want to want to see heads roll, but don't be that way, guys. Just keep putting information out. Keep moving forward and do what Sarah does. Just keep keep finding information and helping others. And, and in the end, it's going to be justified. It is. And, and people are people that are held accountable or that need to be held accountable will be. You may not see it, but they will be. I guarantee it's, it will happen. Just, just trust me on this one. So just calm down on the anger. Just know that what Sarah's book is doing and Boone, it's Sarah and Boone's book. Mm -hmm. they're holding people accountable and it's it will help we may not see the, all the aftermath of it but it will help and by killing one of the Benghazi terrorists and the Benghazi attackers obviously it helped today so it's, it's all good I, yeah I, I appreciate it. I, I'm glad you're doing it. it makes 
it, you know, it makes me feel like people still care, which is what you want. And you want to remember Rowan and Bo and, and Stevens and Chris and, and Sean, because they did give the ultimate sacrifice and people still care. So that's a good thing. And so I don't, I don't see a, a negative on either show at all. I think these shows are extremely positive. Um, and, and, no, and what you're doing right now is still positive. So if, if you want to be like Sarah, reach out to her and, and she'll, she'll, she'll put you in the right direction. Um, but you're going to work. Believe me, she works her tail off. So get ready to work. That's all for this episode of the Battle Line Podcast. But we'll be back on Monday with more American Straight Talk. Until then, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Battleline Podcast and on Twitter at Battleline Pod. To sign up for future Battleline tactical courses, go to www.christantoperanto.net. Believe in yourself, face all challenges head on, and as always, never, never quit. quit.